Well, before Professor Donnelly comes to preach from the book of Esther, let's read uh, from Esther. And we find this on the Pew Bibles on page 494 and 495. We're going to read from Esther chapter 6, verse 14, through to chapter 7, verse 10. So let's read from God's word. Esther chapter 6, verse 14, through to chapter 7, verse 10. Let's hear the word of the Lord. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we have been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? And as the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Thus speaks the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ken, for taking the first half of the service on my behalf this evening. And we turn this evening once again to the book of Esther. We'll be looking this evening, God willing, at chapter 7. Beginning to read with verse 14 of chapter 6, but then on to the end of the chapter. Haman's character has become clear. He's what our children would call a baddie. And he's in this book as a representative figure of the enemies of the church throughout history. Haman's an example. The instruments of Satan in the war against the offspring of the woman. He also reminds us of everyone 
who rejects Christ. No matter how obscure, no matter how humdrum their lives may be, Haman, the unbeliever, the one who himself does not walk and who turns others from the walk of righteousness, not that he himself knows anything of the Lord, but of decent behavior, of, of truthfulness, of kindness, Haman is no example. We've been looking at him, and for the last time, we're going to see him in this chapter, the central figure here. It's solemn, but it's a short chapter, and we see it in three parts. And we'll be looking at those verses in turn. And as we look at it together, there's certainly a challenge to anyone here who is not yet a Christian. And such a person have been very, very much in my heart and mind in these days. It's an encouragement also to those of us who are Lord's people. And how in a hostile word, world were to live for Christ and speak for Christ. First of all, let's think of verses 1 to 6. I call it Haman suddenly terrified. Haman suddenly terrified. Let's try to put ourselves in Haman's position. He has been humiliated, as we read in the previous chapter, regarding the pr promotion of Mordecai. Mordecai has been praised. Mordecai has been rewarded. Mordecai has been lifted high. And Haman's family and friends have warned him that his fate is coming, that he is doomed. They've given a gloomy prediction. You will surely fall before him. That's chapter 6, verse 13. You will surely fall before Mordecai. And yet, there's quite a bit of encouragement for Haman, it seems, in the beginning verses of this chapter. He has been invited again to another feast with the king and the queen. He had been at one before, and now he's coming again with the king. Will he be able to recover his position? Will he, able to, will he be able to win back what he thinks he has lost? Is this an opportunity for him to push himself forward again? Remember that neither Haman nor the king, have the slightest idea that Esther is a Jewess. The man who married her did not know that. No one in the area knows that about her. They don't know that she's a member of the doomed people. And so we can think of Haman. He's been troubled about Mordecai, but here he's sitting at a feast again with the king and his wife. He's enjoying food and wine. And perhaps 
As the hours pass, he becomes a little bit more relaxed and happy. Don't let me worry about what happened. Here I am with the king and his wife at this wonderful festival. And the king is in a very good mood. And he again renews to his wife the generous double offer that he had made the day before. Verse 2. What is your wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. You remember that Esther had spoken to them the day before. They wanted to know what her request was. She said, come back tomorrow. We'll have another feast. And they're longing to hear it. The king and Haman are both intensely curious. What is it for? And the king has made such a generous offer to his wife. Whatever you wish. Half my kingdom. Esther's answer is very shocking to both of them. We find it in verse 3. Let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. And they would look at each other and would say, she's a member of the nation we're going to kill. Well, the king doesn't yet know who they're going to kill. Haman asked him, could he, could he have his enemy killed? And the king said yes, without asking who the enemy was. Startling, startling. Let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. It may be startling, but his next, her next words are tragically clear and positive and definite to shatter them. Verse 4. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. And if you'd been reading the book of of Esther today, I'm not suggesting you should have been, but these words would remind you of something. She says, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. And if we go back to chapter 3, verse 13, here's what we find. Letters sent to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the Jews. The very words that Esther's using. To destroy, to kill, to annihilate. Esther, if you like, is quoting this deadly edict word for word. That's what was commanded of the people. To destroy and kill these people, these Jews. Now she's saying it applies to me. As I was saying a moment ago, the king had never known what people had been sentenced to death. But in the beginning, from the beginning, Haman had the Jews in his mind. It was Mordecai whom he hated. It was Mordecai's people whom he hated. It was Mordecai's people whom he asked the king to promise to destroy. And he now realizes to his honor, I'm sorry, to his 
horror that the queen herself is a member of the Jewish race. That he has been plotting against the life of the queen's, of the king's very beloved wife. He's been plotting against the life of his king's beloved wife. He has made an enemy of the queen, the second most important person in the empire. What is he feeling at these moments? This queen, the beloved of the emperor, it is she and her people that I have been planning to kill. That's what he finds out. And the king, we're told in verse 5, fires up with anger. Who is he? And where is he? Who's dared to do this? Now if Esther had a sense of humour, she could have said, Look in the mirror, my lord. But Esther was a calmer, wiser woman than that. She knows that her husband has been manipulated. But she says, verse 6, a foe and an enemy. Can you imagine Haman's blind panic in this electric moment? The king said to the queen, who is he? Where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe and an enemy. Pause. This wicked Haman. Can you imagine that moment? She identifies the man whom her husband now hates. Before him and before her husband. And all the plotting is laid bare suddenly before his, this enraged master. Haman, we're told, was terrified before the king and the queen. He'd been sitting having a party with the king and his wife, and now he's condemned to death before the king's face. In a moment, he falls from the heights to the depths. And friends, here is surely a picture of every tyrant, every persecutor, every enemy of Christ's church. This is their destiny. This is what will happen to them. All the hatred for God's people. Often it happens in this life. Those who attack the Christians are judged. But it will always happen in the world to come. All hatred for God's people is lying open before the eyes of the Almighty. Every scheme to hurt them, God himself knows all about it. Every attack on the Christian faith Every claim of atheists, every anti-Christian law, those who promoted these will be called before God to give account. 
And for those which are names in today's headlines, a day of awful terror is coming when they shall stand before the true judge. And friends, this is true also on a less public level. Not to believe in Christ is to be against against him. Not to believe in him is to be against him. And for such people, the day is coming when all will be revealed. Without a warning, they will be taken from this earth into the immediate presence of the God whom they have denied and assaulted. Every single sin in the whole of their lives will be set out before the King of Kings. This wicked. They ask you, are you rejecting Jesus Christ? Are you, no matter what age you are, from the oldest to the youngest, are you rejecting Jesus Christ? What a day of terror awaits you as you will stand before the Almighty. So, in verses 1 to 6, Haman suddenly terrified. Let's look for a moment at verse 7. Haman vainly begging. Haman vainly begging. We're told that the king arose in his wrath and went out into the palace garden. We'll we'll see why in a moment. But Haman seizes on what he sees as his last desperate opportunity. And we're told Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. What hope did he have that she would listen to him? That she would grant his request? That she would turn away his master's anger? Esther is no Christian heroine. We're not taught anywhere in this book that Esther was a woman of huge, high virtues. She had a faith and was real. But that is all. And even if she did, there was little she could do about her husband, who is now furious, flamingly angry. Who is this? I will destroy them. But Haman is past thinking logically. He's not working things out. He's acting on an instinct for self-preservation. How to save his own life. He has been angry that Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. You remember that at the beginning of the book. He's now bowing to Mordecai's cousin. The reverse has happened. 
pathetic. Here is the prime minister of the mighty Persian Empire. And he's pleading for his life from this woman. To absolutely no avail. Nothing now can save him. It's too late. He can beg, but he's gone past that stage when begging will mean anything. And let me say to anyone here who disbelieves in Jesus Christ, who has not yet come to exercise saving faith, if you continue to disbelieve such a day as this, will certainly come. We're told about it in Revelation 6, verses 15 and 16. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the power, and the powerful, and the next phrase, and everyone, and everyone, Slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? That day is coming, everyone. Everyone who fails to believe will cry out in despair, but their judgment has already been taken. I wonder that in an outward way you may profess faith, or you perhaps still one of these people inside. What would your plea be to God to stop him punishing you? I never heard the gospel. You've heard the gospel many, many times. Give me another chance. The Lord has given you chance after chance to believe. I will do better in the future. You may or you may not, but your past calls for your judgment. I've tried to be a good person. Well, you haven't. And even if you'd tried, you'd have failed. All of this to no avail. No excuse to God can be valid. No plea can be accepted. When the day of judgment comes, you may plead for all you want, but it's too late. And the call of God to you now is come to Jesus Christ now. Come to Jesus Christ now. He will answer the feeblest plea for mercy. He will answer in love and mercy the feeblest plea for mercy. Please, I beg you, don't leave 
the gospel of mercy until the day of grace has ended. Haman vainly begging. And then that brings us thirdly and lastly to another aspect of what happens here with Haman. Verses 8 to 10. Haman justly punished. Haman justly punished. Suddenly terrified. Vainly begging. And now verses 8 to 10. Justly punished. I'm not saying that the judge here was just. This king was anything but just. He was a self-centered, immoral, wicked man. Why is he out in the palace garden? Perhaps he was afraid of losing his face. Here's this man, my prime minister. And it now turns out that he's been trying to kill my wife. What? What's he going to come in and say? What's Esther going to be saying when, when he comes in? How can he punish Haman for a document which he himself signed? You remember Haman said, Lord, will you sign this for these people to be killed? Yes, of course, signed them. And now it turns out that one of them is his wife. It makes him look a fool. And if he comes back, Haman can provide him with a perfect excuse. But did you look at verse 8? Haman falling on the couch where Esther was. Here was a breach of court etiquette. Here was bad manners. Here was an act of awful indecency. He had fallen on top of the queen. He was holding her, he was begging her, he was pleading to her. You didn't come near the king of the queen. And Ahasuerus can see an opportunity here. He can see an opportunity of turning it into something far more serious. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? So you see, Ahasuerus, in his, in his intelligence, changes it. I'm not accusing him of being false and cruel to the Jews. No, no. I'm accusing him of playing around with my, with my wife. He didn't believe for a moment that this man was trying to assault Esther. <coughs> Hebrew scholars tell us that that word assault can have some sexual overtones. Would he even assault the queen in my presence? But Esther's a convenient smokescreen. And Esther, Esther enables him to punish Haman. Not for the plot against Esther's people. But for attempting rape of the queen. That's his mind working. And we see how the other courtiers instantly understood his words. In our own culture, 
We're familiar, not as much as once was, the term the black hood. For the black hood was used of those who were put to death for murder. The gallows, still the electric chair, the black hood is put over the face of those who are going to die. And it was the same in Greek and Roman and Persian culture. So you read in verse 8, As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. They covered Haman's face. That was their black hood that they were putting on this condemned man. But although the judge is corrupt, the judgment is appropriate. The judgment is poetic. The judgment is powerfully right, even when done by this man. You remember how Mordecai was going to be killed for not bowing down. Haman is going to be killed because he did bow down. He bowed down to Esther. He was kneeling before her, pleading to the wrong person, at the wrong time, in the wrong place. What irony. What irony. The king looks at his hated prime minister and he sees him bowing down. And more than that, friends, his very gallows, his very stake to kill him is waiting for him. Verses 9 and 10. The gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. He was ready to murder Mordecai. And now in the justice, the king has him murdered at that same very place. Anything more fit than this. He is being hanged on the gallows which he himself had made ready. It reminds us of Proverbs twenty-six, twenty-seven. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And the stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Whoever digs the pit will fall in it. This unjust man, this unjust politician is going to die at the hands of his king. And friends... If this unjust king can punish justly so that we say it is right for this wicked man to be punished, how much more infinitely just and righteous can the king of all the earth? This is a terrifying thought. People will say, I don't want God. I don't want Christ. I have no interest in being holy. I have no thought of heaven. I have no time for faith. And to these people, God says, 
Very well. You will have what you wanted. And you'll have it forever and ever. I don't want God. You won't have God as your Savior and your Lord. I don't want Christ. You'll never receive Christ. I have no interest in being holy. You won't be holy ever to all eternity. I have no thought of heaven. You'll have nothing to do with heaven. You'll be in hell forever. I will give you what you want now. Friends, more than that, every single sin we're told in the Bible will be punished fully. Think of one sin that you've committed. And this punishment is that God should punish you for that sin alone to all eternity, throughout all the ages. The Jews the next day in this city are going to look at Haman's body and they're going to say it served him right. He wanted to kill us. It served him right. And that is precisely the verdict of the angels and of the redeemed on every Christless person. He, she, they're getting exactly what they deserve. We shouldn't envy the Hamans of this world. We shouldn't be afraid of them. We shouldn't be resentful towards them. You remember the experience of the psalmist in Psalm 73. We sang part of it. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Always at ease. They increase in riches. I was envious of them. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. You make me fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors. Dear friends, my heart goes out to anyone here who's not yet received Christ. I was there where you are. And I didn't deserve to come to him. And I'd rejected him hundreds of times. And yet the night came when one of God's servants was speaking God's word. And that night, God brought me to receive my Savior. And that's what I long for you if you're not a Christian. And for those of us who are believers, let us pity those who aren't Christians. Let us pray for them more than we are. Let us ask God to give us opportunities to open the gospel to them.
There's only one hiding place from the just judgment of God. It's in his Son, Jesus Christ. And at Calvary, he paid once for all, for all the sins of all his people. The psalmist in Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Paul tells us in Romans 8.34, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. In a few moments, we'll be singing from Psalm 130. And let us sing it with all our hearts to touch us if we have never been coming to Christ in a new way. To give us longing stronger than we've ever had of the conversion of those we love. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. And those of us who are in Christ, we can say it now. We can say it with joy, with great gladness. As we go from this place into our homes, as we lie down to rest, but with you, O Lord, there is forgiveness. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for this portion of your word which you have given to your people. We thank you, O God, for speaking to us clearly. We thank you for showing us in the awful life and death of this godless man something to speak to every single person who is not yet in Christ, to bring home to them that Haman is like them, that they are like him, and as he died in horror, so they will forever die in horror without Christ. And bring them, we ask of you, to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive him as their Saviour. For all of us, O oh God, help us to love him more and more. And give us a stronger longing for those known by us who are not yet in Christ. And we ask that you will enable us to speak of him and to live for him in such a way that the Holy Spirit will use it. So be with us now. Bless us as we sing of him. Watch over us in this coming week. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.